Good morning, and welcome to this time of worship from First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. Today is the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, and it is July 4th, the day our nation celebrates its independence. For Methodists, July 1st is the first day of the year for our ministers, who are either continuing in their present appointments or moving on to a new church. So, today is the first Sunday for our new pastor, the Reverend Dr. Amy Aitken, who officially joined us only three days ago. To help smooth these transitions, our bishop, cabinet, and annual conference staff have created a service made up of offerings from many churches across our whole annual conference. We are grateful to be able to share that service with you today as we celebrate the diversity and connectedness of our annual conference and as we hear a word proclaimed by our district superintendent, the Reverend James Powell. It's the 4th of July, it's the first Sunday of the new appointment year, and it's also the last day of remote worship. Next Sunday, July 11th at 10 a.m., the church will be open and you are welcome to come here for a time of prayer and praise and to meet our new pastor. Watch for this week's midweek e-news on Wednesday for last-minute information about how to participate. The service will be live-streamed as well, so if you are not yet ready to come back to in-person worship or are joining us from a distance, you'll be able to participate here at the YouTube channel. Following in-person worship next week, we'll have an all-church picnic in the cloister and in Fellowship Hall. The usual picnic fare will be provided burgers, hot dogs, a vegetarian option, and cold drinks. You're asked to bring a salad or a dessert to share. Please call the church office this week to let us know that you are coming and which you will be able to bring, salad or dessert. That will help us plan for the day. The Staff Parish Relations Committee is organizing a series of opportunities for you to meet and greet our new pastor, Amy Aitken. These informal gatherings are taking place in homes and also remotely on Zoom, and they are scheduled from the middle of July on into the month of August. A, a special Sign Up Genius link has all of the details, and you can find a link in the midweek e-news and in today's bulletin, which I hope you have already downloaded. There is a link to this week's bulletin in the video description, as well as in yesterday's email. And now, let us join our sisters and brothers from all around the annual conference for a time of worship, prayer, and praise.
Welcome, I'm Reverend John Farley, the Dean of the Bishop's Cabinet, and we give thanks for the opening music, and we call us now to this time of worship. Receive this call to worship. Listen to the good news. God, God is with us. This day and every day, because God is with us, we can face every day with courage. We can find some good in everything, for we are never completely alone. God's goodness sometimes seems like a, a trickle and sometimes pulsing in spurts and sometimes a mighty flood, but always God is with us. We worship you, O God, for your goodness. We praise you with our songs. We seek you in our prayers and we offer ourselves to you, the God who has created us. And now receive this song of praise from Witness, the praise band of La Mesa Foothills United Methodist Church, your will, your way.
Good morning, beloved saints, and greeting to you on this Sabbath day. This is the day that the Lord has made, and let us all rejoice and be glad in it. This morning, as you are all aware and know, this is called a Transition Sunday, which means clergy are in transition for a new appointment in a new place. Some are retiring. And some are staying in the same church, but making plans for a new season. All of us, including laity, are in transitions in one way or another. In my family, we're in transitions also. My daughter just graduated with a master's degree, and she's in transition from being a student to looking for a job and a place to live, depending where she finds employment. My son is in transition. He's deciding whether he will continue with the U.S. Air Force or transition for something else that God will reveal to him in God's time. I was in transition from being a district lay leader to a conference lay leader. Fortunately, I did not have to move. In the scripture this morning from the book of Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9, it talks about God's call to Abram. God says to Abram, leave your country, your relative, and your father's home to a land that I'm going to show you. God also said to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God did not tell Abram the name of the church where he's sending him to. God just remind Abram, leave your country and your relatives and your father's home to a land that I'm going to show you. God also remind Abram that he was going to make him into a great nation and he was going to bless him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Abram must feel not knowing where to go, but knowing that God will bless him? Abram completely trusting God. Abram must have feel a little bit nervous because he wasn't young at all. He was 75 years old. Most of us, when we turn 75, we retired already. But God calls Abraham. God calls Abraham to a place that he was going to show him. Imagine all the stress that Abraham must feel, not to mention the state of shock that he was in. But one thing that Abraham have is the trust and faith in God. Friends, that is what we need to take away from this Transition Sunday. We have to remember that we are all called and we need to answer that call with a trust and faith. A faith in a God who will provide and bless all of us. A faith in a God who will never leave us no matter what. A faith in a God who loved us so much that he gave his only son to pay the ultimate price. A faith in God who sent his only son not to condemn the world but save the world. Beloved, all of us are called. Laity, you are called. 
I have been called. I have been transitioned to be the conference lay leader. I didn't have to move, but I answered the call to lead the laity. And for that, I am forever grateful. I am grateful to answer my call and serve an amazing God. I encourage you to answer your call. I encourage you to answer your call to be a blessing because you have been blessed. Praise God for our life together. Amen. I believe. In spite of many unanswered questions, I believe. I believe in the living God, the joy of the universe. Who is the pulse and purpose of all things seen and unseen, who from the dust of earth calls up living beings to do, to be children of eternity, who through countless ages have provided for us many liberators and tirelessly seeks to bring victory out of defeat and life out of decay. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's true Son. Who is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, who took upon himself the healing of the human race, who bearing the burden of our sins went to Golgotha carrying his cross, who was betrayed, crucified, dead, and buried in a borrowed tomb, who on the third day was found to be gloriously alive, meeting with those who trust him and serve him to the end of the world. I believe in the Holy Spirit of God. Within and among all who cherish Christ in his way, who brings hope out of despair, love out of apathy, and joy out of sorrow, who unceasingly regenerates and reforms the church, that may always be the contemporary body of the risen Christ, loving the world through prayer, word and deed. I believe that even I am caught up the resurgent life of Christ Jesus and that nothing in life or death can separate me from his love and joy. In spite of unanswered questions, yes, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe.
From the book of Genesis, chapter 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place Eshikam, to the Oak of Moreh. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and peace be with each of you. It is my privilege to speak to you today, especially on this passage out of Genesis 12, the story of the call of Abram before he becomes Abraham and the journey that he and Sari are on before she becomes Sarah. This is such a beautiful call story because it addresses the very thing that is difficult for us when God calls upon us in our life, often asking us to leave some things or some beliefs or even some people that we need to leave in order for us to move on to where God is calling us to go and to serve. Because ultimately, the designer of the universe is not us, it is God. You know, there are so many places in Abram's and Abraham's call story where he's given a promise of a land or a region or a nation. And yet each and every time he thinks he's arrived, he is going to set a tent up or he's going to build an altar. And then God then calls him on to another place. This reminds me of the road trips that we used to have as a family. Loving road trips and putting our kids in the back of the car. You know, there was one question that was always asked of us. Are we there yet? We would travel hundreds of miles, sometimes thousands in a trip, and, and our kids were pretty patient. Uh, they, they were pretty well self-entertained most of the time, but, but they got tired of the journey. And I can imagine after Abram and Sari you know, had gone sev several places along this journey here that from the back, if they had had children in this caravan, not the Dodge caravan, but the caravan, you know, are we there yet? At least people who would feel like they wanted to end up at a place where they would want to land somewhere. But Abraham had no descendants, not yet. He had a promise. And if we look carefully at the promise that he had, he had to first be obedient to God and leave a lot of things. In fact, leave everything that he had. Looking at the scripture 
for a moment. We have that Abraham is told to leave three specific aspects of his life, his country, his people, and his father's household. And so here he is trying to, you know, grasp what that might mean. We don't really have the insight of his reaction to this or his resistance to this. Not in the Old Testament that we have before us. Later on, we find out more about this when we have the recall of Abraham's journey and the call upon his life. But as you look at what he has to give up, it's very tough for us as Western culture to understand what it means to give up country, people, and father's household. He had to give up his very identity. He had to give up his people. He had to give up his tribe. He had to give up his customs. And the culture in which he grew up in, he had to be defined by the people that were around him. Hard for us as Westerners to think this way. One of the most admired Bible teachers in our conference over the years, I believe was Lloyd Sachin, an Armenian who was a pastor of great insight, especially from the Eastern perspective. I remember him in a class teaching about how we cannot take our Western culture and lay it over or overlay it upon the scriptures. We have to see it from the perspective of where these people were. Community was everything. Your tribe, your village, your language was the group that defined you. The worst thing that could happen to you was that you would have to be exiled from the people that made up who you were. But look what he had to gain if he was to give these things up. Moving into the second and third and fourth verse. He would be standing upon the promise of God and he would receive a great nation. In fact, he would be the creator of a great nation through his descendants, which he didn't have. He would make his name great. God would be lifted up, but Abraham's name would be lifted up. And finally, he would be such a blessing and he would be blessed with so much, he would be a blessing for generations to come. Just on these promises, he faithfully took his wife, Sari, he took his nephew, Lot, and he took all the possessions that he had accumulated over time. He also took all the people that he had accumulated over time, probably slaves. And he had to leave that place of Haran and to move on to a land of Canaan. And then it looks at the end of verse 5 that they arrived. They got there. Isn't that the goal of life? Isn't that what the American dream is? To arrive and thrive? To get to a place where we can get comfortable? A place where we're called? Yes, maybe. But that we are faithfully doing what God's asked us to do. That's been the way the church has been since its creation. Arriving and thriving. Setting up a tent someplace. And then doing great things in that tent. But... Maybe that's not what God intended for us to do ultimately. Maybe the church really is more than our location, our identity in the community, our sign in the front yard, or our stellar worship services. Arriving and thriving, it's, it's, it's attractive. It feels comfortable. Financial stability, having a place where you're known, and where you're loved, where there's a community that cares for you. For our families, we would want that. 
physical, mental, and emotional stability and wholeness. All of these things are a part of arriving and thriving. But that wasn't the call on Abraham's life. He wasn't to settle someplace. He stopped at moments, and he received words from God, and he received direction to head out and do more. But thriving just where you are and stopping all the progress that once for you or for me or for the church is something I think we have to look at carefully and check once in a while. Have we just arrived and thrived? My generation actually did this. When I was born, the whole country was arriving back from World War II. Protestant churches were being built on every corner of America. The Protestant church was thriving. Our, our, our heyday was in the mid-60s. I was just a child then, but the church was thriving. My parents didn't much care about the church or for the church, but the rest of the country seemed to be happy with going to the Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran church or the Catholic church on the corner and usually on the four corners. Friends of mine would go off to Baptist Sunday school and others would go off. My best friend was Jewish and so she would go on Saturdays to temple. I had experience around people who were churchgoers, religious people, but that wasn't where my family was. And if we look back, we see how the church sort of stopped its progression in these years and, and maybe we stopped thriving um, probably 30 years ago because we weren't quite aware of the progress that God was, was wanting us to make, the transitions, the changes, staying culturally relevant. And the thing is that the church has never been designed to arrive and just simply thrive in one place. Plateaus, yes. Strength as a church, yes. Financial availability, resources, oh yes, we need all of those things, but not for us to stop where God is going. Why is that? Because we are a called people. We are called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are called to go where God wants us to go. We all know out of 2020 and 2021 that during this pandemic, we've had to reassess who we are as a nation, even as a community or a culture. We've had to take account of our responsibility for other people, wearing masks even when some people feel like it's not necessary anymore, and yet isn't that protection for others until we're pretty sure that we're not going to spread this? Look, a call on our life is a totally different thing than simply identifying ourselves as Christians who hear God's call. We have to respond. That's in the grace of God, our responsibility. We need to respond to God's ability here. And so what does it mean to be called? Well, it means like Jesus calling Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew off the Sea of Galilee in Mark 1, chapter 16 and 17. It's being available. When God walks by, we're available. When God whispers in our ear, we're available. We're, we're not, you know saying, oh gosh, no, not possible, Lord, not for me. I can't do this. No, Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men, of people. And so that call on their life meant that they had to leave their country, their nation, so to speak, of Galilee. They had to leave their people, their tribe. They had to leave their livelihood. They had to leave their father in the business that they were a part of. And Jesus led them to a higher 
purpose. I've had this experience as a pastor in a church that was really doing pretty well. We had people. We had worship attendance that was, you know, upwards of four or 500 people. We had lots of people involved in mission. We were heading out of the country to do good work, and we were heading into neighborhoods around our church that were doing good work. It felt really good to be a part of a team of amazingly faithful people, all called by God. And most of them didn't start out being United Methodists, by the way. They sort of made their way into this place of grace, and they started to thrive. But that wasn't enough, and it wasn't enough for me. And so I started to pray about this. Well, God, what do you want me to do? Meanwhile, my friend lost his son in a plane crash, the value jet aircraft that took off from Miami and incinerated because of the oxygen tanks. It's a very long story, but here's, here's the kernel of truth within it. Their son, before the, he died in that plane crash, called them from Miami and told my friend, a pastor, I, I finally know what God wants me to do. He wants me to be a missionary going back to Venezuela and serving those people. Well, Ray had planted his heart in Venezuela, and his parents responded by going to Venezuela and meeting the people that his son had experienced. And their heart was planted there. And when he told the story to me and some other pastors here in the United States, we also had their, our hearts planted in Venezuela. So through lots of fundraising and money and dreaming and praying, we started a seminary in Venezuela. Today, the Wesleyan Seminario de Venezuela is there. It's thriving as, as, a, as a school. We're sending out pastors every year. It's something I'm very excited about being a part of. And I thought I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do, but there was still this nudge and this call and this whisper and this vision that would come once in a while in the middle of the night. No, it's not enough. It's not enough to support this financially. It's not enough just to pray about this. I want you to go to Venezuela. And I heard that clearly after ignoring this call for at least two or three, four years. I shared that with the staff I was working with. I shared this with my wife and other people, and, and I shared it with the friend who, whose son died in, in that call to go to Venezuela. And I, I could not ignore it any longer. So a few years back, I, I got on a plane. I arrived in the middle of the night, and I pulled my suitcase full of Bibles that I wasn't supposed to have, and I went through Caracas and I went through some areas that most people are warned not to travel and I ended up teaching there and it changed my life. And this is not about me. It's about God's preferred future for all of us. Are we willing to answer the call or are we too comfortable where we've arrived and where we're thriving to stay right where we are? It's a real question for you and for me. And it's a question for our churches. Our best days are not behind us. And we do have a call upon us to be actively involved in the communities around us. However they've changed, however the demographics have changed, however the language or the cultures have changed around us, we are still called to engage the people that God has placed in front of us. Are you willing and ready to serve the church that God is creating? 
or are you satisfied with serving the church that you already know? Are you ready to take a step forward in faith on a promise, leaving behind the things that are comfortable and risk with courage through the Holy Spirit what God is calling us to do? How many people have we missed by not listening to God's call on us? How many people in our world die because we're not willing to respond to the greater needs that they have? Physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional needs. How many tragedies do we experience where we, we say that's a tragic thing that's happened, but we, we don't know how to respond to it? Maybe I'm naive, but I still believe that God calls us. I want to end with a woman by the name of Sojourner Truth. That is her actual name. Um, Sojourner Truth was an evangelist, an abolitionist, and a civil rights leader. The picture you see is her standing or sitting there with Abraham Lincoln. Um, that is a drawing of an actual photograph from 1864. You see this woman, an African-American woman born a slave. She went to court to try to defend the life of her son. And for the first time in U.S. history, an African-American woman actually won a court case against a white person who believed he had the right to own her son. Well, when she won this, she became, for so many, this person of hope. In her own story, from her own preaching, you'll hear a call upon her life she could not ignore, even when it was a threat to her own life. Now, if she can do that under those circumstances, can't you and I respond as the body of Christ to the needs that are around us? Can't we be like Abraham and understand that there are things we can let go of if we can trust God enough? And there are places our church can go and things we can do for the Lord in the kingdom because the Holy Spirit leads and calls us forward. I want us to be called... I want me to be called. I want you to be called. And I want us to be able to do this together from our own places in ministry, our own theological perspectives, but all under the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you, God, for your everlasting, ever-present call on our life. Lord, let us not shy away from what's next. Let us not think we are so tired that we have nothing left to offer. For Lord God, you called a 75-year-old man and his entire family to give their life to a journey that would create the greatest nation, our ancestors, and the beginning of the way forward for Jesus Christ and for the kingdom as we know it today. Give us strength and courage. Give us strength and courage. And call us in Jesus' name. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful 
and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. We declare together, O oh Lord, with our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, and souls stirring in acknowledgement of our history of exclusion, racism, and silence. We will continue to stand and weep and cry with our brothers and sisters that we do not fully invite, empower, or even lift up their voices. We will continue to make a place of peace for the most marginalized at our table, no matter their ethnicity, culture, tradition, language, skin color, or sexual orientation. We will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter through. We will continue to seek to forgive as we have been forgiven. We will continue to love in Jesus' name because Jesus has taught us to love. Now, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
And this is Reverend John Farley again, and I want to thank everyone who participated in putting this service together and lift up prayers for everyone in transition where God is calling to a new place and bring us now to this time of benediction. Receive this. Gracious God, Creator, Spirit, Son, Incarnate, we give thanks for your call in our lives. We give thanks for this journey of faith, and we pray safe journeys for all. We pray new life for all. We pray the Spirit's blessings for all. In the name of the Creator, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.